Well, hey, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Um, boy, spring break just kind of snuck up on me. Did it sneak up on you, too? Some of, No, the kids are all going, oh, no, man, we've been waiting on this one. So I hear you. But uh, one of the guys um, asked me, hey, can we leave all the stuff up this week because it's spring break? And I'm like, I completely forgot to ask because I didn't realize it's spring break week. So uh, anyway, uh, I am so glad that you are here. It looks like we've got some people who are already vacationing. Uh, a friend of mine who pastors another church went on a cruise yesterday. And um, not going to lie, I'm a little bit jealous, just a little bit. So anyway, but we're all here, and I'm glad that you're here. By the way, if I haven't met you, my name is David. I serve on the pastoral staff. I am so glad we are gathered. It's a beautiful day outside. And a couple of weeks ago, um, I did a message where I talked about women and church. No, actually, it was more like Jesus and church and women, those um, kinds of things, and, and we, I called it um, a hashtag me three, and just this idea that um, any of our sisters who are struggling, I don't want them to ever feel alone, that, that the church is here, and that um, Jesus elevated women, and we based it on this, this passage in Luke chapter seven, where Jesus is talking to a religious leader and he asked this beautiful question, do you see this woman? And it, it's this moment in the passage where everything just kind of turns. And it's this beautiful question, this beautiful phrase. And I want everyone to understand that this is not a one-time occurrence for Jesus. That he regularly um, attempted in a, in a very patriarchal culture to elevate the value and the worth of women. And on the road to the cross, the series that we're in, it happens again. And uh, we're going to talk about that one today. But this time, it's not real subtle. Because remember, in the original story in, in chapter 7, he's at dinner with this Pharisee, and this woman shows, shows up and, and um, washes uh, Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears, and, and you know the story. But in this um, episode, in this little vignette that we're going to read about today, it, it's not subtle at all. It's very, very dramatic. And so we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 13. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you might want to turn there. We're going to be in Luke chapter 13. I'm going to start with um, verse number 10. Now, here's what I want you to do, though. This is important. I want you to think <clears throat> in terms of a movie. Uh, or TV, whatever you prefer. But um, there's some camera angles here. And when you read through Luke, Luke is great at this, where he draws your attention to certain things, and it just fits. It's almost perfect for a screenplay. And so I want you to think about the camera angles in this scene because uh, it'll help you more vividly understand what's going on um, in this exchange that Jesus has. So let's pick this up in verse 10, and I want you to think about where the camera angle is, okay? On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, okay? Now imagine where the camera's going to go. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Now, can you imagine this? You think about the camera, all of a sudden it's on this particular, this particular woman. And 
when it, when, it, when it kind of tightens in, when the shot tightens in on her, it, what happens is we hear something about her. Luke narrates a little background to this woman. First of all, um, we know uh, that uh, she has been having this problem for 18 years. In Greek, the Greek language was originally written and is very helpful here. And she had a, and the, the word, and I'm not sure why the translators did this, and crippled by, but the word here is sickness. She had been sick um, by a spirit for 18 years. So there's a spiritual problem here that's created this, this sickness. Now, in Matthew and Mark, they make a big deal about spirits, especially evil spirits. In Luke, not so much. I mean, it's there, but like here, it's almost mentioned in passing. This is a spiritual thing. But she has this sickness. And it's uh, caused by a spirit, and she's bent over. The word used here is bowed. So think in terms of double, doubled over, okay? What we don't know is, is the sickness skeletal, or is it a stomach issue? Like, ugh, 18 years doubled over because of stomach pain, because that'll do that to you as well, right? So the word here is very general, this idea of sickness. But the bottom line is she's bent over and she can't stand up. So the, the source of it, other than spiritual, is not the point of the story. And so Luke doesn't spend any time on it. Rather, there's something else that's happening here. Okay? So we have this idea, this uh, camera is focused in on this woman. Now look what happens next. Camera shifts to Jesus when, uh, I like to call it the 50-50 shot, where you can see Jesus and you can see this woman because it says, when Jesus saw her, which is really interesting because remember what he said to the Pharisee, do you see this woman? And here Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Okay, now let's pause and think about this just a little bit. Because, first of all, he calls her forward. In the synagogue, they would have been separated. So he saw her. Now, most of the time, Jewish rabbis would only pre preach to the men. But he saw her. This is a big deal then pulls her out of the crowd and brings her front and center. Another big deal. You just didn't do that in the synagogue. It was segregated. There was a reason for that. That's apparently the way God wanted it. But Jesus goes against this convention. And he says to her, woman, which, by the way, is not um, a, a negative term. It would be similar as saying ma'am or miss, okay? So in Greek, calling someone woman is, is not derogatory, it's not negative, it's, it's just polite, right? I don't know your name, so I will call you woman. You are set free from your infirmity. Now again, there's a, a, an issue here in the translation because this is the exact same word as crippled earlier. So sickness, you are uh, free from your sickness, so, first of all, Luke identifies that she's sick, and Jesus deals with that sickness, okay? So that you understand what's, what's exactly happening here. And then he puts his hands on her. So there's both the word and there's a touch, and she is healed uh, or releases her in this, in this case. And the result is that she straightens up and praises God. Now, imagine 18 years you've been sick, and somebody says, you're released, touches you, 
Shazam, you're able to stand straight up. You can probably praise God too, aren't you? Yeah. This is dramatic. I mean, can you imagine this? You are in your, your church setting on Sunday. It is segregate, segregated. The guys are, are here and the women are there. And usually the rabbi teaches to the guys. But he sees, brings her up front and center and dramatically, not, it's even casual in the conversation. By the way, you're released. There's a touch. Boom, it happens. She starts praising God. Now, how many of you would like to see that happen in church on Sunday, right? That, that, that would be good. And <laughs> what would your natural response be? You'd be praising God too, right? This is an amazing thing that's actually occurred. Most of us would uh, kind of join her in that. But the camera cuts to a religious leader. Bum, bum, bum. I'm imagining the mustache. No. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, can you imagine this? There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. There's this part of me that I'm like, are you kidding me? Really, this is, this is the response you have? Indignant, by the way, here means that he's, uh, he's unhappy, he's displeased, he's a little miffed. Why? Because you're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath day. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to do work at all. In fact, among religious leaders at the time, there was an enormous amount of discussion as to what constituted work on the Sabbath. One of the classic examples or classic questions that was often debated is what would happen if a scorpion was going to sting you on the Sabbath? It was perfectly acceptable for you to put a cup over the top of it, but to kill it would be work. Right? I mean, this is a big deal. I mean, we're, we're talking about nuanced understanding and much debated. And so, of course, of course you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. There are other days for you to do that. <laughs> Now, I want you to remember something. Before we throw this religious leader under the bus, all right, you have to remember what he just witnessed goes against absolutely everything he had been taught all of his life. And I'm going to make a statement that might make you a little uncomfortable. The same thing happens to you and me when Jesus starts meddling with our beliefs too. Can we just be honest about that? When I went to seminary, um, now several years ago, <laughs> I came from a part of the country where the dominant understanding of the religious traditions was that women did not belong in ministry as far as leadership goes. Okay, that was a very common thing. In fact, that was a belief that I had, that it was a male-led thing, that that was the biblical understanding of it, and that women should not be teaching specifically men. And then I went to seminary, and I met some women who had powerful, dynamic teaching and preaching gifts. And Jesus started meddling with my beliefs. I did not handle it very well at first. And then there came a moment where I was listening to one of my classmates preach exceptionally well, a female, 
And I realized something, that if I am a leader in a church and I have a female with speaking gifts, right, specifically preaching, and I don't attempt to try to help in some way, shape, or form that person develop their gifts, that's a sin issue on my part. Let me tell you, that was troubling to me. What do I do with the fact that there is a person here who is clearly gifted at this? And in some level, if I don't help that person do their thing, then, then who's that on? That's on me. Now, the, the extent or to degree is certainly up for debate. You know, I understand that. But the point is, is that in that moment, I had beliefs that got poked and prodded just a little bit. Now, I'm not sure that I would, you know, do what this Pharisee did and preach to the congregation and say, well, you need to come back, you know, on Wednesday because we do healings on Wednesday or whatever. That's not the point. The point is, is that we all have these closely held beliefs and sometimes Jesus comes and does this, pokes and prods you just a little bit. Think about that. The next time you're a little bit uncomfortable with, with things. So he's indignant. We've got this tight camera shot and then that camera goes back to Jesus. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, don't miss that, that's important, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Yeah, who's indignant now? He lets them have it with both barrels here. They'll do the minimum amount of effort to care for their livestock, but it's still some effort. Now, it may have been ruled that it didn't constitute as work, but it's still some type of energy. In, in David world, um, <laughs> my thought is, is that Jesus probably stood up and said something like this. So let me get this straight. It's okay for you to take care of animals, but it's not okay to take care of a daughter of Abraham. Now, think about that term. Because the Jewish people were very prideful of the fact of their ancestry, of Abraham. And here he is saying, this isn't just some random person. This is a person of the same ethnic descent as you. And you're trying to tell me that your livestock has more value, is more important than she is. And in that moment, what does he do? He not only exposes their hypocrisy, he also exposes the absurdity of that notion. Because it is. It's absurd that your livestock have more value in your actions, not just your words, than this woman who for 18 years has suffered. Are you tracking with me? I mean, this is a dramatic thing. Now, I want you to imagine a little bit about the Sabbath. Remember, we, we talk about the Sabbath. 
And in some traditions, the Sabbath is a bigger deal than others. Um, the, the way I grew up is, you know, seventh day, you, you didn't do a whole lot of work. But I had friends who, they had to stay in their suit and tie all day long, and they weren't even allowed to play. That doesn't make any sense to me, but, but that's, I can't imagine how their parents handled that. But that's, that's another story. But the, the Sabbath day was established at the Exodus. When, when Israel was set free from slavery in Egypt. Now, let me ask you a question. How important was a day off to a slave population? Think about that for a minute. How important was it for God to say, no, 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 on the seventh day, you get a rest. You are not a machine. You are not an animal. You are a human being made in the image of God. You deserve to have some time to recreate, recreate yourself. How important was that day? And I, and I, I actually have this in my notes. I was thinking the Sabbath day is, is a symbol, but it's not a symbol. The Sabbath is a demonstration of freedom, real freedom. God institutes this. He codifies it so that people would take that seriously. It's a demonstration of the freedom that God offers all people. It is not for continued bondage. Are you with me? And so in my mind... It is more than appropriate to heal on the Sabbath because it too is a demonstration of the freedom that God offers his people, women included. Hmm. So now the camera zooms out just a little bit. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. <laughs> yeah, they were, right? But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So this picture's on, on the, the camera's on the crowd, and the religious leaders are, I can imagine they're grumbling a little bit. But everyone else is very, very happy. And you need to understand something. What Jesus did isn't just about the miracle. It's the teaching that he gave along with it, the calling out of the, of the religious leaders of that particular moment and that particular time that would have electrified that crowd. They would have gone, what? What is this? This is amazing what he's saying. Not only is he giving us a new understanding of Sabbath, he is demonstrating freedom, real freedom, from physical ailments to a population that didn't know that. Yeah, he's meddling in some big ideas here. And then the camera goes tight on Jesus again. Because at the same time, I want you to remember this, at the same time, he comes back in on him and he does this teaching. He asks a question and then he gives a metaphor twice. I want to show this to you. Verse 18. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? Now remember, he just taught about Sabbath. He just demonstrated freedom. And now he's talking about the kingdom. Maybe those things are connected. Just a thought. And so we ask the question, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed. Now, how many of you have seen an actual mustard seed? Little tea tiny thing, right? Tea tiny. Which a man took and planted in his garden. And by the way, I don't understand that translation because the actual word means through. 
There's no intention to it. He just threw it out into the garden. I don't know why, but he did. He threw it out into the garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Now, here's the interesting thing. There is some evidence to suggest in some other sources about the same time period um, that mustard bushes were actually considered weeds because they weren't making Grey Poupon out of mustard back in the day of Jesus. Um, probably because they didn't eat pork and they didn't have ham sandwiches, so they didn't eat mustard, right? I don't know. <laughs> you guys are thinking about lunch already, aren't you? Yeah, I know. But it's, you take this mustard seed, and it was considered in, in some, some places to be more of a weed, and he tosses it out into the garden, and it grows up to become a tree, um, or actually a very large shrub, okay? And I love this, this notion that the kingdom of God is like a weed. I don't, I don't know why, but that just really, you know, that just pings me on so many levels. But it grows so that birds can, and by the way, the word here is not just perch, it's nest, that birds can actually live there. Now, remember when we were talking last week about um, animal sacrifices and how birds were for the poor? Birds were considered the least of the animals. And here's what, here's what Jesus is saying, is that this weed, this thing that was, was planted unintentionally by him throwing it out, has grown to a point so that the least of all the animals can come and live. And all of a sudden, this metaphor is a lot more vibrant, isn't it? What is the kingdom of God like that the least can come and live? And here's the beautiful part. He's not done yet. Ready? He goes on to the, the very next one. He says, again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, I don't, I don't know how much 60 pounds of flour is, but that sounds like a lot of flour to me. But my guess is it didn't take a whole lot of yeast to work it through that entire thing. And <laughs> what does yeast do? A little yeast affects a lot of dough. You put it with some warm water and it begins to grow, doesn't it? It causes the whole lump to rise. When the kingdom of God is present, the whole benefits. I want you to think about that for a moment. If you are representatives of the kingdom of God, then the whole benefits, that means your home, your workplace, your classroom, your neighborhood, all of those things benefit because the kingdom of God is present. And end scene. <laughs> you know I was waiting for that one. I even practiced it. I want you to understand that this healing of a daughter of Abraham um, is a dramatic illustration, not just of the Sabbath, but of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the full embodiment of the Sabbath day, of what God had in mind. Um, when he did all of this, Jesus demonstrated what God intended all along. 
His first plan has been his only plan. And the big idea here, the thing is that I want you to walk out that door with and the thing that I want you to think about is this, the kingdom of God raises everybody up. Everybody up. Everybody up. And my prayer, my prayer for Thrive Church is that we would be an outpost of the kingdom. And that means, at least in the very minimum um, to me, is that we get a chance to follow Jesus and we help people heal from their past and give them some hope for the future. Because isn't that what Jesus did for this woman? 18 years, a history of almost two decades of pain and suffering, and he heals her from that and gives her hope for the future that she can have a normal life. And then he talks about the kingdom of God. That's what I hope for as far as Thrive Church goes. That's what I really want for us. And so here's my question. The question I think that all of us need to wrestle with is if the kingdom of God raises everyone up, can we be that kind of church? Can we be that kind of church that actually tries to raise people up? And, and look, there's, there's a, a dozen different ways that you can do this. There's a lot of places that this is applicable to, but you know, you can start right here. If you see an unfamiliar face on Sunday morning, go and say hello. That's, just, that's simple enough because you know what? Sometimes people just want to be acknowledged. Now, we call it the cheers factor where everybody knows your name. I'm all for that. But it starts with an initial, hi, how are you? I haven't met you before. And maybe it's just listening to someone's story. So how'd you get here? You know, if you're meeting somebody for the first time, you go, so tell me what your story is. Might not be the best thing to lead with. <laughs> I remember I was at a church once and, and somebody said, you know, asked a question and just said, you know, how do you, how do you make people feel welcome? And I just said, well, we get them to stand up in front of everybody and tell us their deepest, darkest secret. I'm just kidding, right? So the guy's eyes were big as dinner plates. That's not the point, but just to listen to someone's story for a couple of minutes. And then here's the other thing. Why not go the very next step? Because when you're talking to somebody and you hear their story, when they, when they come to that place where they're willing to tell you something like, you know, hey, how are you doing today? And you're like, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm struggling a little bit with, with something in my, my workplace. You know, it's just my job. I got this boss. I've heard that one probably a dozen times in the last month. What would it be like to be kingdom-oriented enough to say, hey, can I pray for you about that right now? It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be filled with these and thous and therefores. And it doesn't, it's not that. I don't know what the answer is for that person in that circumstances, but I know the one who does. If a person is feeling sick, you know what? I haven't been feeling good this week. I can't heal you, but I know the healer. So why would I not bring the healer into the conversation? And it can be just like this. God, um, I just pray that, that Mabel today would feel a little bit better. Lord, you know what she needs, and I trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, can I ask you a question? Is that hard? It doesn't have to be more than that. Hey, I know that uh, Ed here is having a real hard time at work, and Lord, you know what he needs the most. I just pray that he'd find those resources today. Amen. 
Two sentences, three sentences tops. But when you do that, here's what happens. Here's what happens. You acknowledge somebody's value because you're bringing them before the creator and sustainer of the universe. Imagine that. The kingdom raises everyone up. Can we be that kind of church? Of church.